Welcome to Health Hackers episode 51. How is your back feeling today? Have you been hunched over a laptop at home during the lockdown? Maybe you've been sleeping in an uncomfortable position. Either way, you won't be surprised to hear that back pain is one of the most common complaints affecting the majority of us at some point in our lives. My special guest today loves to knit back pain in the bud and resolve her client's pain without resorting to surgery, injections, or any procedures that would mean they have to take time off work. Dr. Chelsea Matthews is a physical therapist, exercise specialist, former athlete, and founder of Catalyst, her online clinic that allows her to work with clients remotely, no matter where they live from her base in Nashville. If you already follow Chelsea on Instagram at Catalyst PT, you'll be familiar with her posts showing mobility exercises for everything from runner's knee to rib pain. You might also have seen some of the glowing testimonials from her clients, plus her debunking of injury myths. For the next 30 minutes, Chelsea has kindly agreed to do some myth busting for us, specifically relating to back pain. Now, before we begin, a quick note to new viewers and listeners, anything you hear or see on Health Hackers should not be considered personal or medical advice. You know the score. Always talk to your health provider about your concerns. Now, Chelsea, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So I'm intrigued. How have you managed to help hundreds of clients get out of pain and back to their workouts without injections, surgery, or time off work? Sure. Yeah. So this is something that um, a lot of amazing providers across the country and across the world do. I happen to be one of them. Um, but what I specialize in doing is looking at pain from a very holistic perspective. We tend to think pain means injury or pain means damage, but our body is actually very resilient and primed to heal itself with the right tools. So I equip my clients with the tools that they need to treat themselves, to tap into these systems that we already have in our body that are there to heal ourselves. Um, it's just letting people know that they have those tools innately within them as opposed to a lot of the common advice that gets given about surgery injections and medication those things can be avoided of course sometimes there's trauma and there's car accidents and there's things like that but the majority of orthopedic surgeries are avoidable if we learn how to tap into these things that exist within all of us i want to hear more about these tools but first what are the main conditions that you see relating to the back Relating to the back, there's of course back pain and then a lot of things that people get told um, from scans. So things like disc degeneration, joint degeneration, disc bulges, disc protrusions, um, all sorts of things, disc and joint related, and then of course pain as well. Um, and what do those tend to be caused by? What would cause a disc protrusion? Yeah, really good question. So disc protrusion is something that's actually a very normal part of the aging process. So by the time we're 90 years old, if we're fortunate enough to get to be 90 years old, 96% of us will have a disc protrusion. So typically for someone that can cause symptoms like pain going down the legs, things like that. But fortunately, it's something that can heal. And research actually shows that the worse it is, the more likely it is to spontaneously heal. So if, if a disc protrusion is part of aging, is there anything we can do to prevent that? No. And 
it's not a bad thing, right? It gets villainized as this thing that has to limit us and has to prevent us from doing the things that we want to do in life. But it's actually just like we get wrinkles in our skin. We have things that shows up on images and scans. The more important thing if someone is experiencing pain is looking at it from a holistic perspective. How are they moving? How is their sleep? How are their stress levels? What are their beliefs about pain? Those can be quite important as well. So there's nothing we can do to avoid it. And it doesn't have to mean that we have pain or stop doing what we love. Are there some types of back pain that are actually caused by other areas of the body? Yes, and this happens all the time. Great question. So if we look at the, the human body as a whole, how the architecture of our joints are set up and we have alternating joints of mobility and then right next to a joint that's designed to be very mobile is a joint that's designed to be very stable so our low back is set up to be a very stable area an area that's not really intended to move much at all but its neighbors its sort of neighbor joints are our mid back and our hips so the majority of the time what's more important is actually getting the hips moving more, the mid-back moving more, sometimes it's the ankles, but more often than not, pain is information and the treatment ends up being somewhere totally different from where the pain actually is. And this is why relying on things like MRIs and x-rays and that sort of thing for identifying why someone's in pain, identifying a plan to get them moving forward isn't the most helpful thing because we actually have to look at the whole body as one. So I know that one of your biggest bugbears is the notion that if you want to be free of pain, then you have to stop exercising. Um, why do you see that as a myth? Yeah, so so much research is showing more and more and more that the more active we can be in the recovery process, the shorter our recovery time we have. So the most effective thing is actually relative rest. So say running is painful, that person can still continue to bike, they can still continue to walk, and that's really beneficial for a couple reasons. One, it taps into this relative connectedness like we talked about, how even moving the ankle, even moving the hip, even moving areas that seem totally unrelated to where someone's having pain, does have carryover benefits. And we also know that pain is influenced directly by our stress levels and our sleep levels. So particularly for people that are very active, if they have an activity that they love to do that helps with their stress and helps with their sleep, taking that away completely can actually be quite detrimental to the recovery process. Do you find there's a lot of fear though, if someone's got an ache or a pain or an injury, there's just this fear that exercising or continued activity could make it worse. Absolutely, yeah, and it's so human, right? That's why we have pain, is pain is ultimately an alarm system for us, and we want to listen to that pain. It's important to listen, because it's our body telling us to seek some help, and if that fear becomes too intense, it can hold us back from getting moving again, which can actually delay recovery. So it's so normal, it's so human, and one of the things I coach through my clients, coach my clients through a lot, is learning how to reframe pain and zoom out and say, okay, I'm having some pain, but what's going on with my stress? What's going on with my sleep? What's going on with my movement? And then we can start to reroute that very human, very primal instinct that we have that pain means we should stop. We can zoom out of it and start to relate to pain in a different way. Interesting. Now, you know that I really want to get to your expert view on a number of ideas about back pain and back health that many of us will be familiar with and um, we'll go through them one at a time i know i warned you about this um, so we can get your opinion and see if you agree or not and and how come so this first notion is um that we've heard many times we must always sit up straight is that true or do you think that's an outdated myth in your view for back health <laughs> 
as an outdated myth. So 20, 10, 20 years ago, we've all heard this, right? Like if you wanna not have back pain, you need to sit with proper posture, you need to sit with good posture. Uh, but what they found, what's way more important than that is getting a variety of movement throughout the day. So it's not sitting itself that's detrimental to our health, it's staying in one position for a very long time. And we have alarms inherently that sound when we sit for too long, right? We get discomfort in the backs of our legs, we may feel some back pain, and that's ultimately our body saying, hey, be sure to move around. Um, and what can happen on the other end of that when people are told that they need to have perfect posture, they need to have proper posture. You know, if we had a back or a wrist injury, I'll do this visually for the people that, that are listening. If, if someone has a wrist injury, they wouldn't walk around tensing it and holding it really tightly and stiff all day, right? We know that wouldn't feel good. We would move it, we would stretch it, we would kind of roll it around. But with our backs, we have this totally different association with our backs. We'll hold it rigidly, we won't move it. So it's a lot of it is when someone's been told to sit with really proper posture for a long period of time, it can actually be detrimental and it can cause unnecessary tension and unnecessary pain. So movement is the key. Movement's the key. You got it. Yeah. So even things like, you know, standing at work, sitting at work, laying on your stomach and riding on your laptop, going for a walk, just breaking up the day and doing different things can make a huge difference for back pain. Okay, so next uh, notion, you should lose weight to lose back pain. How true is that? That is a myth. So a lot of my clients have been told they need to lose weight or even have weight loss surgery, or they've avoided going to the doctor because they don't want to have comments about their weight. And we do not have to lose weight to get out of pain. Pain is a very big um, multifactorial concept that we have to look at and to assume that someone's weight or someone's pain is solely based on their weight is missing 99 out of 100 points that we need to look at. So the more important things are movements, staying connected to things that have meaning for us in our lives, staying connected with community, staying active. These are the really big things that we need to look at when someone's in pain that has nothing to do with their weight at all. I see. Um, another one here that we are probably very familiar with is rest and ice is the best first aid for any injury. So relative rest is the best course of action. So continuing to stay active and if there are things that are painful that you're not able to continue because those things become more painful, that's when you want to seek some professional guidance. But even if you are having, you know, say you wake up with a crick in your neck or something like that and you know, turning your head to the side is painful, you could still continue to go for a walk. You could still continue to try doing some light yoga and see how that feels. So it's a lot of it is giving people the freedom to play around when they're in pain and giving them permission to move when in pain and that can make the recovery process much faster than otherwise. Good to know about the neck. I find I've been getting that regularly recently, actually, like one side just hurts a bit. So walking, gentle yoga, stretching, that kind of thing is all good. All that's safe. Yeah. Even lifting weights, whatever it is that the person loves to do and just giving yourself permission to play around a bit. And it's a lot of people find that when they work into discomfort with the right guidance, that things can actually improve. So you don't necessarily have to shy away from the things that are painful. Yeah, with the right guidance, that sounds very key. Now, here's one that I feel has really been drummed into me. You must always bend your knees to lift something heavy. Is mm. this true? So the, it can be. The most important thing is that you lift in ways that your body is prepared to lift. 
So if you are someone that has been lifting with bent knees all of your life, I would not advise starting to lift with straight knees with a really heavy weight when your friend's moving apartments, you know? So we can tolerate all movements. Our spines can hold 2000 pounds of weight. They're quite resilient. It's just making sure that we prepare our bodies for what we're asking from it. Did you say our spines can hold 2000 pounds of weight? They can, wow. yeah, they can hold 2000 pounds. We're not recommending anyone goes and tries. Don't do that. Okay, right. Finally, um, to end this myth busting round, uh, sleeping on your front is bad for your back. What do you think? So it being bad flat out, I would say that is a myth. The more important thing is again, is that you have a variety of movement in your day. So if you're someone that works with clients and you spend your entire day turning your head towards the left, and then you go home and you lay on your stomach with your head turned to the left when you sleep. That's a situation where we would play around with possibly changing how someone's sleeping. Um, if it's not causing pain, if they're not having any active issues, is it detrimental to your spine to sleep that way? No. Good to know. So earlier you mentioned the tools that you use. Um, could you give us, say, three great things that we could do for our backs, all of us? Sure, yeah, so first thing I would say is incorporating some mobility work for your mid-back and your hips. So like we talked about earlier, that when we have low back pain, it's actually more important to look at other areas of the body that are needing to be more mobile that aren't getting that opportunity. So keeping the mid-back mobile and keeping the hips mobile, a lot of people don't know that our mid-back is actually the most mobile part of our spine, more so than our neck or our low backs, but we tend not to use it a lot throughout the day. So that would be the first tip. Uh, second tip would be having a variety of movement in your day. So if you sit, make sure you walk. If you sleep, lie on your stomach, make sure you lie on your back. Just make sure that you're moving in lots of different directions. Our body was made to move in 360 degrees and a lot of times we just kind of move, use the forward and backward motion. So having a lot of different ways that you move. And then third tip I would say is to not place too much emphasis on what's been told to you about your spine in an X-ray or an MRI. Not that it's not helpful information, it certainly is, but what research shows is that people tend to actually have more pain and can have worse outcomes once they see those medical imaging results. So if someone's listening to this and they're really discouraged by what they've seen, really discouraged by what they've been told, know that that is a piece of information, but it doesn't mean that it has to stop you from doing things in life that bring a lot of meaning to you. And do you find in your job that a big factor of what you do is trying to help people manage what they've heard or what they've assumed to be the problem from looking at their scans or from hearing other verdicts from other experts. Absolutely. Yeah. So what I focus on a lot with my clients is finding movements in our session that immediately make their pain better so that they can see, oh, you actually have control of your pain. You have this way that you can treat yourself. I think when people start to realize that they can control their pain instead of feeling like their pain is controlling them, then some of those beliefs naturally start to shift because someone's medical image isn't going to change in a 30 second period that we're doing the intervention, but their pain does. So then we start to open up that window of, oh, maybe there's a different way of looking at this. So really your approach is using tools of movement and working out what helps them feel more comfortable or at least not in pain rather than going straight to the injection or surgery route. Absolutely. Yeah. Injection surgery are the, the absolute last, last, last um, 
resort and the more years that I practice, the more clients that I've seen that have been told that they need surgery. And then three months later, they're, you know, running and playing soccer again. So our bodies are really amazing. And I just help them tap into that through movement. So tell us three of the worst things we could do for our backs. Three of the worst things we can do for our backs. I would say, you know, going back to our, our spines can hold 2000 pounds. They're really amazing. They're really resilient. So there's not a lot that you can do that's going to damage your back permanently. One of the more important things is that you do things gradually. So I'll see a lot of clients that say, for example, they've been running and they've been running one mile and they decide that they want to run four miles. And then they're really frustrated because they're having pain, but they don't see that it was actually just a lack of a gradual progression that got them in that scenario. So whatever sort of movement that you are trying or want to do to be really gradual with that process. Um, second thing is continuing to move. If you do have a uh, you know, back pain episode where you, know, you feel like you need to be in bed for a couple of days to try to resist that urge and continue moving. And then third thing, uh, the worst thing you can do for your back. That's it, really just two. Our spines are pretty incredible. There's not a lot that we can do <laughs> to permanently damage them. It's a lot of what I've said, you know, just continuing to move and continuing to take care of ourselves, which I think is, is a tough thing for a lot of us. Let's talk about the injury mindset. Now, um, across my life, I've had several bone breaks, including four fractures in my pelvis. So I know recoveries can be slow and they can be frustrating. Could you talk to us a little bit about staying on top of your mental health when dealing with persistent pain or injury recovery? Absolutely. Yeah. So a few things to focus on is we think of recovery as being this really uh, linear progress. Like Monday, I feel better. Tuesday, I feel even better. Wednesday, I feel even better than that. But we don't realize that recovery, if someone were to put it on a graph, it would look like, you know, a four-year-old made a drawing, right? Eventually it's going to go up, but there's going to be days where you feel better, going to be days where you feel worse. The more important thing is to look back two to three weeks ago and say, what was I able to do today that I wasn't able to do two to three days ago or two to three weeks ago? And focusing on what you're able to do as opposed to your pain levels can make it a lot less frustrating process. The other thing I always tell my clients is they get three days where they lock themselves in their room, watch Netflix, eat ice cream, be upset, you know, whatever your, your coping strategy is. But everybody gets a few days where they're just frustrated and that's a normal part of the process. And then the other thing would be, again, just to focus on, as opposed to pain, what am I able to do that I wasn't able to do two months ago? And when you focus on the activities as opposed to the pain levels itself, it's often a much more accurate indication of your progress and can help take up some of the emotional frustration out of it for you. I see, so how do you focus on the activity rather than the pain itself? Yeah, so say for example, you know, a lot of my clients are runners, so they'll come to me with a goal of, you know, say maybe they wanna run two miles a few times a week. And so we get very clear and objective about their goals on the front end of where are you now? How much are you running now? What are your pain levels now? Where are you six weeks from now? So finding some sort of way to be objective about it so, and to journal it can be quite helpful too. Um, you know, or I was today, I was able to walk a mile three weeks ago. I was only able to walk three blocks. 
And a lot of times we make progress, but we don't realize that we make progress because we can be quite hard on ourselves. So sometimes journaling it and writing it out can help us to see things a little more clearly. And there's always, again, it comes back to that fear, doesn't it? When you are recovering and you're doing an activity and you feel pain or discomfort and you worry, did I, did I push it too far? I guess it's hard for people to know. Yeah. And a lot of what I work on with my clients is viewing pain as a red light system. So for every person, they're going to have a certain level that's a green light, which means you're safe to keep working through pain. They're going to have an orange light, which we talk about, that's the caution area. And they're going to have a red light where they don't need to work into pain. So a lot of it is learning your own body and your own alarm system. And then you can have the tools to be able to actually work into discomfort sometimes. But yes, we all have that alarm. It's very human and we can learn to navigate it differently. So we're nearly up on time, but I really want to ask you if someone listening wants to find a physical therapist who has a similar approach to you, they want to stay active, um, what should they consider in order to find the right match for them in a physical therapist? I think one of the most important things is if they are someone that wants to be active, and that's a really important thing to them, is to see if their treatment is keeping them active or if their treatment is actually taking them further away from that. So are you being told you don't need to run or you don't need to do this thing? Or are you being told, hey, I know it's really important for you that you want to do this. We're going to get you a plan to get to that. And this is what that plan looks like. So if they have the opportunity to speak with their provider and say, these are my goals, you know, what do you, what's your plan for getting me there? I think it's important for people to feel empowered in healthcare. And I think some people feel like they, um, you know, it's, if things are rushed, you may only get five or 10 minutes with your provider, but having a really clear list of what your goals are and asking them what their plan is to get them there. And if they're telling you, oh, well, I actually don't think you're ever going to be able to do that again, then that's, that's their clue that maybe someone else would be a better fit for them. Do you find in your experience that a lot of people or even you are surprised at the body's ability to heal when it's given a chance? Absolutely. Every day. And I think our, what amazes me is how intuitive our bodies actually are. So a lot of my clients will come in and say, oh, I've been, I've been doing this stretch and for some reason this feels better when I do this. It's like, That's your treatment. You figured out your treatment. So our bodies are very intuitive and they're incredible at healing. And we can, you know, I've had clients that are 80 and running. We can do a lot of things if we, you know, if that's important to us in our life as we age, our bodies are really amazing a nice hopeful way to end this interview then <laughs> good how back as viewers and listeners i will post links to chelsea's social media and her website in the summary text that goes with this video and podcast if you're watching on youtube hit subscribe for regular videos if you're watching or listening to this through facebook spotify or apple you can opt to follow the show there too chelsea thank you so much thank you for having me until next time everyone bye bye